0: Well, good morning. How's everyone today? Good, good, good. Turn your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. If you're visiting this morning, we're glad you're here. And just uh, to let you know, we're working our way through this book of 1 Corinthians, verse by verse. We're pretty early in the study. We have a long way to go. We're going to look today at verses uh, ten through thirteen of chapter one, and as we as we get into it, this this um, really is the first section where Paul addresses some of the issues that are in the Corinthian church. And and uh, if you were here at the beginning of the series, we talked about there's. We're going to see there's a lot of issues as we go through this book. There's a lot of things that Paul addresses. This is the first of those. And so as we get into it, we just want to remember where we've been in the book and how Paul started in the book because Paul doesn't jump into the letter and just start criticizing criticizing or or critiquing uh, the Corinthians and the issues in the church he begins with their identity in Christ and so as we push through the book and as we press press through the book and we see issues that are in them and issues that we'll find are in us as well we want to remember identity because the book is hopeless if we're apart from Christ, but Paul says at the beginning, you're not. You're sanctified, you're saints, you're called, you're holy, you're blameless in the sight of God, and so in all of these things, as we plow through this book, there's hope because of Christ, and so let's read um, verses 10 through 13, and uh, just in honor of, of his word, and the reason we do this, by the way, just as a reminder, if you come in, and why do they stand up when they read the Bible? Um, Ezra, in in the book of Ezra, when he read from the scriptures, there's a passage there where he reads from the scriptures and the people just in awe of who God was and his word that was being spoken to them, they just stood together. And it's a great picture of honoring really what we believe this is. It's God's word spoken to us, written down, and we have it. And so that's why we do that. So let's just stand together. Starting with verse 10. I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. What I mean is that each one of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you or were you baptized in the name of Paul? Father, thank you so much for your word. God, thank you so much for your grace. Thank you so much for the gospel. And even as we've just mentioned before we even get into this passage, there's hope in you, Christ. You have renewed us. If we are in you, we are clean. We are a new creation. We have a new identity. And so we praise you that there's hope. There's hope in you and even as we talked about last week that you lord you are faithful and you will sustain us to the end and so we praise you for that and i ask you to help in this time lord help us to set our hearts on you on your word help us to listen to your word god convict us and change us by it in christ's name amen go ahead and have a seat this passage, uh, and, and we, we're stopping halfway through this section, we're going to f- pick up on uh, verse 14 through the end of the section, verse 17 next week. But, but as, as Paul gets into this, as he's describing this f- issue of division in the church, um, he's laying out not just the problem, but he's laying out the solution for us too. And so again, we'll see as we go through this that our hope is not in ourselves to be able to fix The problems that arise in us as sinners, our hope is in Christ. And Paul gives us that here. And so as he lays it out for the Corinthians and for us, he says at the beginning here, I appeal to you, brothers. I appeal to you by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. I appeal or I exhort you. It has this idea of coming alongside of someone to help them, and that's, that's Paul's uh, plea with them here, is I'm urging you, I'm pleading you as a brother who just wants to come alongside of you and show you this isn't right, this, the way you're living isn't right, you are sanctified, you're holy, you're blameless in the sight of God, this is your identity, but you're not living in your identity, you're living another way that displeases God, and if I could just come alongside of you, walk with you, brother, sister, to help you in that, that's, that's how Paul begins to address that. He's appealing to them as brothers, which, again, is just a beautiful reminder for them. Remember, you're in Christ. You're in Christ. You're my brother in Christ. And he's addressing their quarreling, their division, their divisiveness. There are many issues in the Corinthian church that, that Paul's going to address, but the first area that he addresses is their division. There's no doubt that any of us would say that um, division Quarreling is a part of life, right? I mean, from from childhood, kids argue, they they quarrel, they fight, they they're divided over the simplest, silliest of things, like birthday party balloons. I mean, just simple things. I you know I don't want to go into like a doctrine of balloons or anything. I don't, I hate balloons. Okay, it's just very revealing of the heart of a child. It, just simple things. It's just rubber and air and it can cause quarrels but as adults we're no different we can we can be divided and quarrel over the silliest simplest of things and it it doesn't it doesn't elude the church i mean it's it's the same in the church i have been in a church where a division happened over the color of paint paint gospelist paint we're, we're no different. We can be divided so easily if our eyes are not on the right person in the right place. We can, just like the Corinthians, just like children, be divided over the simplest, really, for honest, stupidest things. Quarrels are a part of life, but that doesn't mean that they are not sinful. They're sinful, It doesn't mean that the Lord Jesus is pleased with quarreling in the church just because that's a part of life. In fact, James says in James chapter 4 verses 1 and 2, what, quarrel, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. What he's saying is our quarreling, it's, it's because of self-centeredness. It's because we're living for ourselves. We're, we just want what we want. That's what causes fights and quarreling among us. We can't say that the Lord is pleased with our self-centeredness. Paul says, I appeal to you. I appeal to you in the name of the Lord Jesus that you all agree. You see that in verse 10, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus. Now, there's our hope. We'll get to that. By the name of the Lord Jesus, that all of you agree. What does he mean there? On everything? I appeal to you, since you're in Christ, your brothers and sisters in Christ, you agree on everything. So, Norb, you are in Ohio. And most of this church are Buckeye fans. So you can't root for Michigan anymore because we've got to agree. Brother, we have to agree on these things. That's what Paul's saying here, right? And, and, and the elder who cares about NFL football more than I have any fav- I don't have a favorite, really, team in NFL football. So Michael, his favorite team is Steelers. So all of us have to be Steelers. And it's obvious from God's word that God uses foolish things. So we need to be Steelers fans, right? And we can all unite around this thing, right? That's what Paul's talking about. We have to agree on everything, right? No, he's not talking that way. So we don't want to read this and say, okay, well, how are we going to come together? We've got to agree on everything now. And, and let's plan our meals and make sure that we're eating the same thing and we're wearing the same thing and we're, we're followers of Christ. That's, that's not what he's talking about. Brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, I appeal that you all agree when he talks about that. He's talking about doctrine. He's talking about biblical teaching. The phrase is literally, I appeal to all of you that you speak the same thing. That's what it literally means. I appeal to you that you speak the same thing. His desire is that they would speak out of one mouth when it comes to what they believe. When it comes to the things that they hold to, the things that we hold to, that they would agree, that there would be agreement, that there would be unity in them. That may sound more impossible to you than than finding agreement on a football team but that's the lord's desire for us is that as a body we would agree we would agree when it comes to him when it comes to the things of him when it comes to biblical teaching and doctrine paul says to the galatians in chapter 1 verses 6-8 i'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. Paul in the midst of that says, I'm surprised that you would turn and believe this other teaching. Not that there is another gospel. Not that there is another option. This is it. This is the one. This is all you have. And so, even if someone were to come, even if an angel were to come and teach you something different than the gospel we proclaimed to you in the beginning, let him be accursed. Let him be accursed we ought to guard we ought to hold tightly to the teachings that have been given to us to the gospel in fact he says to Timothy in chapter 1 verse 14 of second Timothy by the holy spirit who dwells within us guard the good deposit entrusted to you and what was that good deposit it's the gospel and there's hope in this verse that's that there's a hint here of it's possible it's possible it's possible by the holy spirit By the Holy Spirit who dwells in you, guard, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. Guard the gospel. Agree that you would all agree. And he goes on and says that there would be no divisions among you. No divisions. Again, he's speaking doctrinally here. Speak the same thing. That word divisions gives us a picture of, of tearing, like a cloth that, that tears. And Paul says, I don't want that in the body. There shouldn't be that in the body. There should be no tears. We're, we're called to display God. We're, we're called to, to illuminate Christ. And if we're divided, if we're torn, even on the things that we're speaking about Him, then we're not displaying Him. There's obviously diversity in us, in people, you think differently than I do, you. You dress differently than I do, you. Are taller than I am probably. Right, we're diverse, we have differences, but that doesn't work its way into how it relates to Bible doctrine. It matters. It matters what we believe. It matters what we believe. It matters what you believe. There is one exception. Two divisions in the church that Paul refers to later in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 18 and 19, where he says, For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. And I believe it in part. For there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. So Paul knows that in a sense there's going to be divisions, but you don't want to be a part of those divisions on the wrong side. And what he's saying is when, when genuine people who are truly following Christ, those who are in Christ, when they set their minds and their hearts on unity and agreement on what he has taught us, what he has given us in his word, when they set their hearts and minds on that and living it out, there's going to there's gonna obviously be a division even in the assembly of people who come together. Because like we talked about last week with the demons, the demons believe and they shudder. But as they learn more about the holiness of God, they don't love him more. They hate him more. Likewise, in the church, there are people who assemble together with the body of Christ who aren't truly in love with him, who aren't truly following him. They're the ones that we talked about last week where the seed that fell on hard ground or the seed that fell on shallow soil. And they don't truly, they haven't truly surrendered their life to Christ. And so when they see these faithful people coming together and loving God more and, and being more united and seeking Him out doctrinally and wanting to know as much about Him and live Him out for the glory of God, as they see that, they don't love them more. They begin to push against them. And what you find in the, in the church is so often as people fall more in love with Jesus. And are more devoted to him and strive to live more holy lives by the power of the Holy Spirit. The first place that they feel push, the first place that they feel um, rejected is inside the walls of the church, because those who, who truly don't love are, are divided away from them. That's what Paul's saying in 1 Corinthians 11. But you don't want to be a part of the wrong side of that. The Lord's desire for those who are in Christ, those who are truly a part of his church, his children, is unity. That's who Paul's speaking to here in verse 10 of chapter 1. I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united. That you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. That word united refers to um, something that's torn, that needs to be mended. They would use it for mending nets. They use that word when they're explaining the mending of nets or bones or utensils or torn garments. And it was a picture of if a garment was torn and, and sewn, it would be sewn so well that you wouldn't even see or remember where the original tear was. That's the picture that Paul is giving us here, that you would be that united. That you would be that united both in mind and in judgment. We're called to be united internally and in in having the same mind and externally having the same judgment. That what's coming out of us, out of our mouths, is what's in our hearts. And that there would be unity in that. It's not hypocrisy, it's not just coming together and pretending to be united. It's not just an external, we're pretending to do this so that we look like we love Jesus. But no, in our hearts, we have the same heart. We believe the same thing. And we love the same one, Jesus Christ. And that just flows out externally as we love each other and are united together externally as well. That there would be unity in those things. Imagine if, if you know, the platform earlier uh, for singing was filled with musicians. And as they begin to to lead us in song, they all start playing from different sheets of music. Different songs in different keys with different tempos, with different messages. And the vocalists are singing different words with different notes that clash with the other notes. Would that be beautiful? No. It would be irritating. And it wouldn't lead us to Christ. It wouldn't point us to Christ. It would distract us. It's the same with the body. When when you have so many people who don't know what they're saying and just as we're going to look at in Ephesians 4 again, where they're just believing every wind of doctrine that comes. Well, that sounds good. And he said that in a really nice and happy way. And he smiled when he said that. And look how many people listened to him. And, and so that must be true. And, and maybe that's true, too. I could see, yeah, if God's a loving God, then he must be like that, too. And just kind of taking whatever comes in, and you have this mess of what we refer to as doctrine in the church that doesn't display Christ. Truth. Truth about him displays him. And what Paul's saying is be united in that. Have the same mind. Agree on the truth of the gospel. Agree on those things. He writes to the church in Rome, he says, May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another, in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, God gets more glory out of united people when they're united in the truth of him than divided people. He ends his letter of 2 Corinthians, writing to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians thirteen eleven. He says, Finally, brothers, rejoice. Aim for restoration. Comfort one another. Agree with one another. Live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. Flip over to Ephesians 4. We were there just over a year ago. Not quite even. About six months ago we were in Ephesians 4. And we talked about unity in the body of Christ and how we are one body because of Christ and His work. We are one. We're in Christ. We're one in Christ. And starting with verse 1, Paul lays out this picture for us. He says, I therefore, Ephesians 4 verse 1, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. And then just go up to verse 13. Until, as he goes on, he says, Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so That we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Notice that the heart of unity, as we get to verses 13 through 16, the heart of unity is grounded in doctrinal unity. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And he tells you what, what the opposite of that is. So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine by human cunning by craftiness and deceitful schemes rather speaking the truth in love we ought to be growing up in these things we ought to be growing closer together being more united together in the truth of god and who he is and his word in first corinthians again it says in verse 11 for It's been reported to me by Chloe's people that there's quarreling among you, my brothers. Chloe's probably a prominent person in the Corinthian church and probably wrote Paul to inform him of the things, the mess that was in the church in Corinth. And that's where Paul is writing this letter from some of that information and the things that have been reported to him. And so as he goes through this, he's saying, it's been reported to me by Chloe's people. And and so in this first verse 10 that we looked at, he he reveals some of the issue. And then he goes in verse 12 and, and shows us how that's reflected. He says in verse 12, what I mean is that each one of you says, I follow Paul. Or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. Paul had probably been instrumental in many, many, many people in the Corinthian church coming to know Christ. He was the one in Acts 18. We talked about that where he goes to Corinth. He preaches the gospel. Many people believe and the church is established. So probably many people had come to know Christ by the teaching of Paul. And they had affections for Paul as the one who had been the proclaimer of the gospel where God opened their hearts to believe in him. And so there were probably affections for Paul and and they preferred Paul. They liked Paul. They liked the way he taught. They liked the things that he said. They liked what he had done in their life. Apollos followed Paul in pastoring the church in Corinth. He came from an excellent school. He was bright, dynamic, intellectual. Uh, Acts 18, 24 says he was an eloquent man, competent in the scriptures. So probably there's some people who, who think, man, I like the way Apollos explains the scriptures. I like the way he teaches us, and I prefer him. I'm a follower of Apollos. You follow Paul, but I follow Apollos, and I like what he says better than what Paul says. And then some of the people there were probably Jews in the church who had been saved under the ministry of Peter, Cephas is an Aramaic for Peter, and so you've got this group who, who their affections are more for Peter and what he had done, what the Lord had done through him in their lives. And so they're, No, I'm, this is a group that we follow Peter, and you guys, you follow Paul and Apollos, but we like Peter, and we're going to follow Peter. And then there's this group that says, I follow Christ. It's like, ah, oh, right, that's the group I'm going to be in. That's the group I would be in. If... No, it's not good either. Paul refers to it negatively. They're probably the most pious and self-righteous of any of the groups, thinking that they had a claim on Christ. They were right. Maybe like many Christ-only groups today, they felt like they didn't have a need for human instruction. Alistair Begg, when referring to this group, says, I think this group is comprised by those who say, we're not in any part We've got no time for men, no time for leaders. We are not in the Paul one. We're not in the Peter one, the Apollos one. We're in none of them. We take our instruction directly from headquarters. We are the Christ party. It's spiritual superiority. Groups like this usually hive off and form their own churches because they usually come to feel that the average local church just isn't good enough for them. They were elitists saying taking claim to themselves as those only who had a hold on Christ Paul addresses this and verse 13 he says is Christ divided is Christ divided this is crucial if you are in Christ if you're in Christ and Christ is not divided then why are you not seeking unity and truth Christ is not divided and we say we're in Christ, so how can we how can we be divided in this, group, in this 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 group? Christ is not divided, and you're in Christ, seek unity in him, seek unity and truth in him. If your identity is in Christ, and he's already said your identity is in Christ, if your identity is in him, then reflect it as the body. That's what Paul is saying. Was, was Paul crucified for you, he says. How can we follow people in a way that divides us and makes us a bad display of the one who died for us? How can we be so segregated and say, no, he's right and and I'm just going to follow him and I've taken my eyes off of Christ. I'm following this person because I like the things that they're saying and I like the way that they're saying it. Did they die for you, Paul says? Were they crucified? Was I, Paul says to them, Was I was I crucified for you? How can you be divided and take your eyes off of the one who died for you? Our lives and our unity should be for Christ and as a result of Christ who was crucified for us. 30 says, Were you baptized in the name of Paul? When you were baptized, did you do that in the name of Paul? Did you do that? with affections for Paul, to display Paul. Baptism is a display. It's a, it's a picture, Paul says in Romans 6, of, of, of what God has done in us. And as we go under the water, it's this display of we're dying to ourselves, and as we come up, we're rising to new life in Christ. We have a new identity, and it's a display of that. We're going to get to see that this afternoon as we have people from the the body who are being uh, baptized this afternoon. And it's a display of that, saying to those before them, I'm dying to myself and I'm living for Christ. Paul's saying, did you say that about me? Was that a display of me? No. It's Christ. He died for you. pause pointing to the absurdity the absurdity of divisions in light of the truth of the gospel in light of the truth of the gospel we ought to be united we ought to agree we have christ we have the spirit and so what's the solution to these things what's the solution to such division how do we guard against that kind of division in cornerstone Three things that I want to mention. Number one is follow Jesus. Follow Jesus. James 4 verses 1 and 2 that we talked about earlier. It says that it's self-centeredness that leads to this kind of division. It's when I begin to live for myself. It's when I begin to think that I'm following me and living for me. And even though I wouldn't verbalize that or not, if my heart and my attention and my affections is more me than it is Christ, if I've taken my eyes off of Christ and on what he's told me to do, and I'm living for myself, then I'm not going to agree because guess what? Nobody else wants to live for me. So how can I agree if I'm living for myself so Follow Jesus, love Jesus, obey Jesus. Paul's showing how absurd it is that that they're following men because Christ is all, not men. As we looked at Ephesians 4.13, just to read that verse to you again. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. What's the goal in doctrinal unity and maturity? Christ. He's the mature man. That's what Paul's saying in there. That we would continue to grow. We would continue to grow. We would continue to mature. We would continue to mature. Until we all attain to the measure of Christ. Because he's the mature man. So follow Christ. Set your heart and your mind on Christ Christ. Number two, love God's word. Love God's word. We're so prone to this kind of division when we simply find and follow our favorite preachers and listen to their sermons instead of or in place of spending time reading and listening to and studying and meditating on the word of God. Now, don't hear me wrong in this point. You should listen to good preaching. Please don't like love bad preaching. You should listen to good preaching if its foundation, if the desire for you listening to good preaching is your love for God's word. If you love God's word and therefore you want to hear it preached and you want to you're reading it and you're studying it. And and I love listening to John Piper. I love listening to R.C. Sproul. I love listening to John MacArthur. I love listening to Matt Chandler. I love listening to a, a handful of guys. I love it because I love God's word and I love when they present it to me and teach it to me. And always, always listening to preaching if the foundation of listening to that preaching is a love for God's word, will lead us back to studying more of God's word. But if I'm using it as an excuse for my time with the Lord, I have to evaluate why am I listening? I'm following John Piper, or I'm following John MacArthur, or I'm following Tim Keller, or I'm following these people. If that has replaced my time in the word studying to learn God. Who are you? Who is this one who died for me? I want to know you. I want to obey you. I want to follow you. I just want to meditate on the things that you've said to me. So listen, listen to preaching, listen to good preaching. But let your foundation for that be a love for God's word. And third, seek unity in doctrine as you seek Jesus and love his word. We should aim and strive for full doctrinal unity. That should be our aim. That should be our goal, whether it comes soon or when Christ is revealed. It's about Christ. So we ought to seek it. We ought to strive after it because it's about Christ. As we go through this passage, we go through this message. Some of you may think, wait a minute. There's a lot of different churches and there's a lot of different do- denominations and they're teaching all different things, even about the same doctrines. One, You can go across the street and this church is teaching this and, and, and this place is teaching this and, and it's the same doctrine, it's the same passage and they're teaching all different things. So how, who are we to be able to say that we should seek doctrinal unity when I can go to any place in town and hear something different about the same passage? And to that, I agree with you. There are many different churches who are teaching different things. In fact, in this body right here, there are people who differ, who disagree on important doctrines. But the Holy Spirit does not. There's one meaning, only one. And when He spoke it, when He inspired it, when He said it, He didn't mean it to have different meanings. There's one meaning. And we ought to, in love with Christ together, as the body seek that out. We ought to seek Him as we seek doctrinal unity. The Bible's not a book that's open to our interpretation. It's purposeful. It's truthful. It has meaning, and as servants of Christ together, we ought to be seeking unity in it. So if that's you, if you struggle with that and, and you see this this just massive display of different teachings on doctrines and you're like, who can figure it out? I'm just gonna push away and and don't do that. There's hope in Christ. Out of love for Christ, we ought to press in more. We ought to press in more. We ought to press in more. Christ, you're the answer. You're the truth. You are the one who inspired it. You're the one who knows the meaning. I want to seek after you. I want to know what did you really say? What did you mean when you said this? What did you mean? Not how do I feel about this? What do I feel like this means for me? And and what do I feel like I should do with this today? No, no, no. Lord. What did you say here? And how can I respond to the truth of your teaching? So don't push away from it. Look to Jesus and be drawn to know Him. And agree on Him and the truth about Him. And Paul writing to the Philippians in chapter 3 verse 15, he says this. Let those of us who are mature think this way. Now listen, and if, any, if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. There's hope. He didn't say, for those who are mature, think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, it's not a big deal. It's no big deal. At least some people in the church know. At least there's some people. No, find out, study and give yourself to the Lord and and seek him through his word and let the work of the Holy Spirit do what it's what it's there to do. They would teach us and grow us and mature us. And, and therefore, if if we have differences, and we're going to, as we mature and grow, it's a process. But if, there, if there's differences, if there's even divisiveness on different things, if we disagree, let's come together and seek the Lord through his word and the work of the Holy Spirit to enlighten and instruct us. And we just wouldn't, give up that we just wouldn't let it go to pastors or those who go to seminary or those who are in bible college or those who are in this specific bible no no, no. you're you're in christ let's seek for biblical unity doctrinal unity as we pursue him as we love him and as we love his word let's pray lord thank you so much for your goodness Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your grace, Lord. You're so gracious to us. Even as we think of the Corinthians and and with the divisiveness in their church, you proclaim to them you are holy and blameless. Not because of any work that we've done, Jesus. It's all because of you. It's all because of you, Jesus we would be lost and hopeless without you. We could never be holy. We could never be blameless. We could never be sanctified apart from you, Jesus. So we praise you and we thank you. And I ask you, Lord, to work in us as your body. Across this room, there are differences in opinions on what you spoke to us in your word. May we be people who love you so much. Who seek you so sincerely. That we would come together in those differences to seek truth in you, Lord. You meant one thing. And you called us to seek that one thing. To agree to be united. So help us to be a people who don't give up. I pray for those here. Who, who um, are striving after you. That they would continue more and more. I pray for those here who are not. Lord that they would set their hearts. And their minds. And their affections on you. On you. And that their love for you. Would motivate them into. Pursuing you meditating on your word, reading, devouring your word, Lord. That they might know what you have called them to do and by your spirit, would we live it out as a body? Would we display you and the unity that we have in you as a body, as we agree together, as we fight against divisiveness, as we become more and more united, in mind and in judgment. We love you and we praise you and we thank you for this time. Lord, be glorified in our hearts. In Christ's name, amen.